Welcome to the Leadership Now podcast with Dr. Aaron Rock. Aaron has served as a pastor, a professor, and a chaplain, and he has a keen interest in helping other Christians to think Christianly about all of life. On this show, we talk about the nuts and bolts of theology, church life, cultural issues, pastoral leadership, ethics, and other relevant matters that will help you lead better now. I'm your host, Chris Eelman, and today's title is Burning Bibles and Christian Persecution. So we believe that Christian persecution is on the rise in Canada and the West in general, and we want to expose it today and help you to see the sequence of events that cause it and leave you with some good news as well for how God uses persecution to build his church. So it's going to be an interesting episode today for sure. So Aaron, what images come into the minds of most Christians when it comes to persecution and tied to that? And how do these images then sometimes hinder us from seeing it in our open countries? Well, I heard these arguments used during lockdowns when Christians were saying, look, the state doesn't have the right to control the ministry and worship of the Christian church. And certain segments of the church were saying things like, well, come on, guys, this isn't persecution. This isn't like China, where the communist government's kicking in doors and arresting people and jailing pastors. This is something of a much, much lesser scale. In fact, it's not persecution at all. And I think what that is, is it's a failure to recognize the sequence of steps that leads to full-blown overt persecution, which is really what I want to focus the majority of our time on today. But in terms of the image, there's a couple images that that come to my mind. So probably around 30-ish years ago, actually a little better than 30 years ago now, I had the opportunity to spend um, a little bit better than a month in what you would call a closed access country where Christianity was illegal. And we were studying the culture there and doing a little bit of missionary work sort of on the lowdown. But it, it really, it was really a very spiritually dark and oppressive country where there probably were only maybe a handful or two, as best as we could tell, of like indigenous Christians. There was no church per se, uh, aside from a few, you know, ancient relics that people would perhaps meet in for various um, festivals and Christian services. But there was no evangelical, no true Protestant, no true prevailing, no true biblical church um, there. And when you come back and you describe that to your supporters, they're like, wow, that's that's real persecution. And then around, I would say, almost 20 years ago, maybe 17 or 18 years ago, I went to another closed access country and I had the opportunity two years in a row actually to do some some training for pastors that were pastoring underground churches, house churches. And you hear their stories of uh, having had a brother that pastored a church in the country and he was thrown in prison for a couple of years or another fellow was telling me about, I think it was his brother that was imprisoned for three years, if I recall. And just before his release, he was beaten so badly, then released that he actually died outside of prison. So the authorities could say, well, we didn't actually kill him here. He died outside of prison. But for all intents and purposes, he was martyred for the Christian faith. Mm-hmm. And we look at those stark examples. We think of um, Islamic countries where Christianity is illegal or communist countries. Uh, you know, we have a, a church plant in Romania, and the pastor there, who's a few years younger than me, was telling me about the time 
a time as a child where they would meet in house churches, stuff pillows in the windows so the authorities couldn't hear them singing or preaching. And then strangely, uh, on Mondays, the pastor of the church would have to go and report to the authorities where they met and who was there and how many people. And the authorities already knew because they had basically moles in the in the local churches. So those are, those are most Westerners, Canadians, Americans, Brits, that's their image of persecution. And so because that level of persecution has not yet erupted in Canada, they don't think we're persecuted, that we're not being persecuted. We're just in a, a culture that's not particularly Christian. And essentially, I would say there, there's, two, there's two sorts of people that uh, are problematic in all this, two, two kinds of Christians. Christians that are living in denial. They're just not aware of, they're, they're either not aware or they just don't care about what is happening in our country. And in countries of similar ilk, Western countries, or they're just praying for the second coming of Christ and hoping it all goes away. And they just don't seem to really care that much about what is going on around them. So I reject both of those approaches. I think it's high time that we we acknowledge that there's persecution in in Canada, and it, it might be if you were to somehow measure it. It might be on a moderate scale in Canada and a a little less, let's say, in the U.S., but Americans can't fall asleep at the wheel either because if they look to countries like Canada, which are more left-leaning, which are more anti-Christ, what they're seeing here is going to be upon them probably about five to ten years out. So they, they would do well to learn some of those lessons. We, we obviously trust in the sovereignty of God. There's no question about that. Uh, we trust in the sovereignty of God, but at the same time, we don't trust in the sovereignty of God and then say, well, the, we're, we're just going to sort of sit on our hands and let evil reign, because evil is not just a philosophical construct. Evil affects people's lives. When people can have their jobs taken away, or people can be denied employment, or people can be imprisoned for their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, that affects men, women, children, families, economies. It's a justice issue. It has it has implications for justice. So I, I don't think there's any question about the fact that we have a solemn responsibility to combat evil of all sorts. And before we go to war, so to speak, and I'm not talking about literal war, but before we go to war, you have to identify your enemy. Mm-hmm. And until the church acknowledges it has an enemy, and the enemy that we experience, the antichrist government ideology of our age, are waging war against the church. But strangely, much of the church doesn't seem to be aware that it's being attacked. So you have to identify the enemy first, which I hope we can help people to do, and then help find a way to combat the enemy and, and bring about substantive change. That's what I want to do in this episode. Yeah. Now, there may be some out there that would say they see the enemy, but they have a, a mindset of, well, God's going to make things new eventually anyways. He's in charge. So why don't we just preach for conversions and let the persecution increase? So what would you say to that kind of mindset? Well, well, again, I, I want to emphasize this, this idea of justice. E- even liberal Christians— uh, seem to have a, an interest in justice. 
They speak out against poverty. You ever wonder how poverty happens in nations? Poverty is effectively the result of not obeying God's laws on all levels in the area of economics. Um, do you ever wonder how addictions happen, how people end up addicted to substances? It's because they're not obeying God's laws in terms of how you steward your body. Do you ever wonder how um, abortion laws, uh, uh, abortion is legalized, or, or in a country like Canada, we have no abortion laws. You can literally abort your child up to the day that it's supposed to be born. And it's happened in our country, just happened in Quebec several months ago, where a, a full-term nine-month-old baby who was scheduled to be born on a certain date, the mother decided I'm putting the child to death. We have no, there's no protection whatsoever for a child until it's out of the womb. How does that happen in the here and now? So we're, as Christians, we believe that there's, there's going to be a time when God does make all things new. Christ will return, and, and we're looking forward to what God has in store for us in that regard. But in the here and now, uh, truth is more than just a, a series of beliefs that we hold dear. It affects life in the here and now. And when truth is cast aside, the truth of God's law, the, the, the truth of a benevolent God who loves us and wants to protect his creation, when that's cast aside, Something else takes its place, lies, antichrist ideologies, neo-paganism, cultural Marxism, whatever it might be, Shiara law, depending on the country you're in. And this brings destruction to, to actual people. So people actually die when God's laws are denied. Children are abused more when God's laws are denied. People starve when God's laws are denied because God is good and his laws are for our own benefit and for his own glory. So when we when we cast aside God's laws, we can illustrate this on all sorts of level, levels, sexually, legally, um, in terms of uh, economic laws. God's laws aren't just things we believe in. They affect life. And when, when a country casts those aside, in the here and now, we might be focusing on the future, and a lot of Christians seem to be focusing only on heaven. But in the here and now, people are maimed, destroyed, distraught, depressed, divorced, when God's laws are, are cast aside. So it's a justice issue. If you claim to truly love people, you will combat public evil. There's a lot of emphasis in the Christian church on personal evil. Hey, how's your, how's your thought life? Do you love the Lord Jesus? Is your heart right with God? There's this hyper-individualistic emphasis on the effects of the faith upon us as, as people. But what about what about public reformation? How, how do God's laws and God's word and God, the principles of God's commandments help us to, to combat public evil? Secondly, it's a matter of lordship. If you actually believe what you're praying when you pray the Lord's Prayer, let your kingdom come, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If you believe that Jesus Christ is, in fact, King of kings and Lord of lords, which he is, then you're going to fight for that. Your theology isn't just your belief system, it's a whole-of-life system. Christ's lordship applies to every single aspect and nuance of your life. In the scriptures, God confronted Sodom. He didn't go to Sodom and just say, you know what, I know you're rampant there's, there's rampant homosexuality and godlessness and idolatry. Just get ready for heaven, guys. 
No, he he actually judged them in the here and now. Was there also eternal judgment that awaited transgressors? Yes. But he also judged them in the here and now. In Isaiah uh, 1, uh, 17, I may have the wrong reference now that I just wrote it down here. I'm thinking I might have the wrong reference, but regardless, it is in the Word of God. It says, wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes, cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. We could reference many other passages of Scripture where the prophets call the people of God to stand against injustice, personified or contextualized in the imagery of the the most vulnerable, the widow and the orphan. Those tend to be the most vulnerable members of society, but the principle there is in the here and now, we, we combat economic oppression, social oppression, by bringing to bear God's laws upon a nation or a society. So it's actually quite cruel to preach a gospel that just offers people an escape route, an exit plan with no application to the moment, with no concern about justice, with no concern about the effects of evil and tyranny on the present. And the most, one could say that one of the most fundamental tactics of the devil to bring about evil into a nation is to attack the Christian church because the Christian church is the body of Christ. We are supposed to be salt and light. We're supposed to bring, we're supposed to remind the state of justice, the need for justice. We're supposed to defend the widow and the orphan. We're supposed to speak out against tyranny. And the devil knows, well, he, I mean, he overplays his hand, but the devil and our adversaries know that if they can silence God's mouthpiece, which is the Christian church, we are his ambassadors, that they can bring about much greater destruction upon a nation uh, when when the church is pushed aside. And that's why there's an overt attack and attempt to silence followers of the Lord Jesus Christ in, in Western nations. Mm-hmm. So now I think it would be really helpful to to lay out for some of our listeners, hey, here's what persecution looks like in Canada. How is it right. being manifest here today? Yeah. So let's... Um, Let's let's talk a little bit about an event that happened yesterday in, in Canada. So many of our listeners have probably heard, and if you haven't, you should probably familiarize yourself with the name Josh Alexander. He's a young man, uh, 16 years old, I believe, who lives in Ontario, and he spoke out against uh, trans students, as they call themselves, using opposite gender uh, washrooms in his public school, kind of up in the Ottawa region. Ultimately, he was, because of his oppression, he was belittled by his teachers, he was made fun of, and he was expelled from the school. So now he's, I've met him probably at least three times in person, talked to him a couple times, texted him. Great kid, loves the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's, he's going around basically speaking out against the radical trans agenda, which which isn't about 
a person having the right or choice to wear the clothing of the opposite gender. It's about forcing the trans ideology upon everyone, indoctrinating our young people in it, forcing everyone to agree with it, forcing everyone to say, hey, we love it, we're on side, it's moral, it's righteous, it's good. It's an antichrist, anti-life ideology. Well, yesterday in, in Alberta, uh, in Calgary, I believe it was, he was distributing Bibles and was arrested by the police for causing a disturbance. Now, there's video footage of this where he's being shoved, like shoved and pushed around by this um, activist, this this black lady. And of course, she, she, she up to this point has not suffered any consequences for assaulting him. He's got his hands up. She's pushing him around. The... The, the trans activists are getting their lighters going and they're they're burning Bibles on the streets of uh, of Calgary, putting them on the ground, stepping on them. This is all on video. And uh, he's the guy that that gets that gets arrested. So just think about this for a moment. Can you imagine the uproar for burning Qurans, Islamic Qurans in the streets? or if it was a white male who pushed a black woman or a, even a black, trans person, whatever you want to call them, around. Um, in 2021, between June and July of 2021, 68 churches were burned in Canada, primarily in the West. Not all of them were burned to the ground. Several of them were burned to the ground, but there was damage done to 68 churches because of the quote-unquote residential school system. Now, I've spoken out against the residential school system for different reasons than most people speak out against the residential school system. We live in a country that likes to, everyone wants to be a victim. And um, the cultural Marxists are using the residential school system from 100 years ago to try to prove that Christianity is bad and uh, the state is good. So the the idea is it's okay to burn down churches because churches church is bad state good marxism good church bad well the the crazy thing about all this is is the residential school systems were the brainchild of the state and justin trudeau by the way when those churches were being burned said that it was wrong but understandable mm-hmm. that the that the Catholic churches were burned because of the residential school system, thinking to myself, but it was the government's brainchild. Would he be saying the same thing if government buildings were burned? Why why weren't we burning down government buildings? Why weren't we burning down the House of Parliament? Why weren't we burning down Queen's Park? Why weren't we burning down provincial legislators? I'm not suggesting we should. Mm-hmm. But this the, the error that the church made in the residential school system is to be the agent of a state that has no business indoctrinating or educating someone else's child. I'm sure a hundred years ago when social workers not walked onto some of the reserves and there were situations where kids were being raised in poverty, they probably thought to themselves, you know, there's justifiable reason here. Look at the poverty. These kids aren't being educated. We need to put them in schools. There's probably some reason for it. It still doesn't give the state the authority to forcibly take someone's child and educate them. The, the error of the church, the Catholic church at the time, was to say, put their hand up and say, we'll serve the purposes of the state. They shouldn't have done it. So there does need to be 
there does need to be some accountability there. But it was somehow justified in the mind of uh, Justin Trudeau that churches could be burned. Oh, it's wrong, but understandable. Can you imagine saying that about a rape? Oh, it's wrong, but I kind of get it. Mm-hmm. About murder. Well, it's wrong, but it's understandable. Like you're speaking out of both sides of your mouth. He's justifying it. To the best of my knowledge, no one was even arrested. How do 68 churches get burned? And we have law enforcement coming out the wazoo, and not one person is arrested or charged with burning 68 churches to the ground or 50 of them to the ground and a bunch of others damaged. So we have, if you don't believe that there's Christian persecution in Canada, you must have the IQ of a grasshopper because Bibles are being burned in our streets, churches are being burned, and we have a conversion therapy bill on the books now, which declares a creational view of human sexuality to literally be a myth. So the, the word of God has been declared to be a myth in federal law in our country. Where's legacy media? Where's CTV? Where's CBC? What are they talking about? Virtually silent on attacks against Christians. But if you want to be on the front page of uh, one of their publications— throw an egg at the front door of a mosque, and they'll be all over that. Mm-hmm. So if, if a mosque is vandalized or a trans person's beat up, which again, we're not advocating for, but you have these isolated incidents where some bad person vandalizes a mosque or beats a trans person up, and they somehow become the symbol of the whole of Christianity, the whole anti-trans movement. Christianity is under attack systemically. Talk about systemic racism. There's a systemic attempt to undermine Christianity in our country because progressivism and its radical ideology, its humanistic ideology, cannot survive in the same milieu as biblical Christianity. It can't. And so there, we are in a culture war. That's not too strong of a word. We are in a culture war. It's a spiritual war, we believe. And um, I think we're going to see that uh, increase mm-hmm. in the days and months to come. Not to mention the fact that the state has already proven that it thinks it has authority over the Christian church. Some Christians even think, strange, I don't know what Bible they're reading, that the civil government has authority over the ministry and worship of the Christian church. So mm-hmm. those, those, are, those are some things that are very, very recent that prove Christianity is under attack in Canada, and there's other events we could point to in other Western countries as well. Yeah. I think some people may not have noticed as much, and you've mentioned this, I believe, in one of your sermons more recently, but may not have noticed because if you're not living actively, publicly for Christ, there's there's no need for the devil to silence you. (laughs) You've already been silenced, right? It's a good point. If you just get your head down, you're going to work, you're doing your job, you're collecting your paycheck, you're taking your ESG training, you're flying the flag, you're wearing the button, whatever it might be, you just don't care. You just want to get your paycheck. You want Saturday and Sundays off to go to church 10 times and go to the Caribbean a few times and go to a gun show and go to a friend's wedding and you know just flake around as a Christian. Why does it really matter? Mm-hmm. Why does it really matter if some 16-year-old's getting pushed around 
in Calgary? Why does it really matter if some knuckleheads burning Bibles? Why does it really matter if some derelict churches are burned down on reserves? Most Christians don't care. And the reason why they don't care is because many of them aren't actually Christians. They're they subscribe to the basics of the Christian faith, but they, they're not actually followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. They're not on mission with him, or they're beholden to the state. Uh, they're taking funds from the state. They work for the state. They don't want to mess with their bread and butter. There's all sorts of reasons for it, why people remain silent. Um, but we want to wake up those that want to be woken up mm-hmm. and uh, help to equip them to see what's going on around them. Yeah. Now you talked earlier about the need to see persecution coming or starting to see the what what the yeah the things are that uh, come before. So what symptoms or steps precede making it fully illegal to be a Christian in Canada? Yeah. What would you yeah, lay that out? So I'm indebted to other people's observations in this regard and. I, it's probably been several years, but several years ago, I was searching around, thinking about persecution and what some of the lead-ups are. Because, for example, if we go back to those countries that I mentioned that I've mm-hmm. been to, you don't go from having vibrant churches and Christianity as a, a, a legal religion in a country to having police kick in your doors or having Christianity banned overnight. And it doesn't even happen in a year or two years. There's a progression. There's a sequence of events that leads to that. Mm-hmm. And students of culture, cultural anthropology, religious movements have studied this. And even if you look at how genocide happens, so put aside faith issues, how genocide happens or how people groups are stigmatized, the same basic principles apply. So this isn't original to me. I don't want to take credit for it. Mm-hmm. But I want to try to describe as best as I can the steps that we need to be looking for. And I think we're already well, there's like five or six basic things you're going to see take place before there's overt persecution in a country like Canada. And we're already well into this um, this uh, this process. Mm-hmm. So one of the first things you're going to see is the, the use of labels. You're going to see Christianity negatively classified. And the first step is it all starts with a word war. Before the cuffs go on or the fines or jail time, it's a word war. So what what those that are opposed to Christianity do is they start by repeatedly using negative words to describe their opponents. So when it comes to Christianity, the goal is to create a negative public stigma about them. So when you think of Christianity, so you think of Aaron Rock. And he's in the media, and he's combating the, the the state supposed authority over the church, and he's speaking out against transgender ideology or LGBTQ ideology or the fake every child lives matters ideology, cultural Marxism, the fake BLM stuff, all that. What you're going to see is you're going to see um, labels applied to the guy, and labels will include things like, well, he's an extremist which is a scary word. He's far right. He's anti-choice. He's anti-trans. He's anti-LGBTQ. This is the These are the labels that the media, the Canadian media, who claim to be objective and unbiased, will start to apply to you. They, they will not use positive labels. They won't say, oh, he's pro-life. 
Mm-hmm. He, he is in favor of a biblical view of human sexuality. He, he subscribes to the historic traditional values of the Christian West. They won't talk about those are positive. They'll use labels. So now you're, you're anti-everything. You know, you're you're an extremist. These or are the labels that will be applied. I would say or phobic, right? You're phobic. You're transphobic. You're homophobic. And we don't really even know what all these words mean, but they're going to be used over and over again. And so there's almost like an urban dictionary now of all the anti-Christian language. If you if you want your certificate in journalism, you got to adopt this language. So Canadian journalists use this language all the time. The professors and educators in our university use this language all the time. Politicians use this language all the time. And then in addition to that, they take Christian moral words like love and they redefine them or make them undefinable. So love is love, which is a nonsensical definition. What does that even mean? And what what they want to do is they want to they they want to stigmatize you by uh, repeatedly applying negative classifications or negative labels to you. And then in addition to that, one of the tactics is they'll they'll find someone who's kind of more or less of your ilk, but is actually an extremist or a criminal who's who's committed some terrible act. And they'll they'll label you as uh, guilty by association. So for example, if I say, well, homosexuality is a sin, and then you read some story about some guy that beats up a homosexual. See, that's that's who you are. Mm-hmm. Or if you are pro-life and they suddenly uh, someone shoots an abortion doctor, well, that's that's what it means to be pro-life. You, you believe in killing abortion doctors. Or conversion. the conversion therapy bill was a classic example of this kind of a tactic where they, they kind of create this false scenario. And I would imagine maybe 50 years ago this was true where someone – who was homosexual might have had electroshock therapy against their will. And they'll project that act upon the present while well, you're in favor of shocking people into heterosexuality. Oh, surely we must all be opposed to that kind of conversion. And they, mm-hmm. they try to label you. They, they make you look like a bad guy. They take an extremist who's, who in some crazy way is trying to put into practice your beliefs by harassing people or committing criminal acts. And they they want you to be thought of that way. So they'll they'll label you. And we have to be so careful uh, to pick that up, to spot Mm -hmm. the lie um, in, in the language and to call them out on it. And then the second stage in the movement towards persecution is to vilify so first they apply labels and they vilify. So now you'll hear increased rhetoric about the, them being dangerous to the welfare of the public. They're violent. They're terrorists. God forbid they have guns. If you have guns, you must you must want to kill people. Uh, well, and no offense to people who love guns, but you're not going to do much with small arms against a, a standing modern military. But they they want they want to make you look like you're a terrible person mm-hmm. if you know, if you're if you're a gun owner, you're an extremist. Like a, a good Canadian wouldn't have guns. A good Canadian would eat vegan. A good Canadian wouldn't hunt. A good Canadian would just go along with um, with the public narrative. So that, that's in the, in this process of uh, vilification, what they do is they they wanna they wanna create a 
a culture where you are perceived as being a threat. And they'll constantly warn the public, watch out for these people, watch out for these Christians, watch out for these homeschoolers, these weirdo homeschoolers, watch out for these far right, these extremists, mm-hmm. watch out for these people that that don't subject their kids to drag shows. Who would have ever thought in the last several hundred years that it would be normal in our country for half-naked perverts in thongs to dance in front of mm-hmm. school-aged children, and politicians think this is okay. Yep. And if you don't agree with it, you're a weirdo. Mm-hmm. You're, you're far right, you're an extremist. So you basically, you, you, they, they're, they're framing up Christians as subversive, subversives, they're conspiratorial. Um, you know, I was recently called the controversial pastor in our own area, for what? standing up again for the rights of the church to mm-hmm. baptize people in person to celebrate the Lord's Supper during a wildly exaggerated pandemic. You're probably aware that uh, Harold Jonker was yeah. um, charged for uh, 15 months, I think it was, after his participation in the, the Freedom Convoy, which is never called the Freedom Convoy. It's called the so, so-called called Freedom free, Convoy by quotes. the legacy media. Again, they, they, won't, they won't acknowledge it was for freedom. It's a so-called mm-hmm. uh, Freedom Convoy, because it's not really about that. It's about conspiracies. Why, why, would you take, why would you take out of all the people that the, the tens of thousands of people that participated in that, why would you... 15 months later, suddenly out of the blue, file charges against Harold Jonker. You know why? Because he's a Christian. Mm-hmm. Because he's a man with a large family who is a public figure that spoke out, that put his time, talents, and treasures into practice by combating tyranny. It's because he's a Christian. I can almost guarantee, if I have any discernment at all, there's somebody out there, some person out there that hates Christians that we need to go after this guy. We need to make an example out of this guy. Mm-hmm. He's likely being targeted because there's some bureaucrat or some activist that hates Christians or a journalist that wants wants the stories to be made. And I think I think Lord willing that'll come out at some point. So Chris, we have apply the labels, then vilify. The third step is once that's been accomplished, you then start to penalize people. Mm-hmm. And you can penalize people financially, or you can penalize people by simply relegating them to places of relative obscurity. So if you don't follow our agenda, if you're a Christian, you actually believe in God's laws, uh, you're not going to teach in our universities. Mm. We're not going to elect you to office. You're a far-right extremist. We're, We're not going to give you a promotion at work. Uh, we're not going to let you anywhere near our children. So increasingly, the high offices, which bring with them influence politically, economically, in terms of social institutions, they become dominated by people that hate the Lord Jesus Christ. And, now, and this is how you influence a culture away from Christ. Mm-hmm. You, you relegate them to the fringes of society. This is why it was deliberate when Justin Trudeau, Justin Trudeau talked about the, the small fringe minority. It's like they're just a, they're just a bunch of rabble rousers this is the, the, the i'm not saying they're christian but the the, the convoy participants yep. many of them were christians so you don't want to let them serve or work and if they're going to serve or work what you do is you force 
propaganda training on them. You make yeah. them take ESG classes. We have a fellow in our church, he's a diesel mechanic. He had to go through that mm -hmm. to be a diesel mechanic, seriously. Take their training. The, all the, the major professional guilds have been hijacked. The teachers, mm -hmm. they have to take essentially Marxist training. Lawyers, judges, professors. Let's get the Lord's Prayer out of the school, but let's then s s replace it with Marxist ideology because somehow that's spiritually neutral. Mm -hmm. So this is this is why we see that the the big institutions like how do you get to a point where the Canadian military this week almost every tweet is promoting transgenderism mm -hmm. in the military. It's supposed to be an apolitical institution. What is your job to defend our country? Mm -hmm. But now over and over and over again, it's promoting transgenderism. It's promoting the LGBTQ agenda. And it's just incessant. It's just like you, a day doesn't go by where you're not exposed to this. It's not. Mm -hmm. It's no longer June. It's like 365 days a year, morning, noon, and night. This agenda is being fo foisted upon you, and, and you have to go through sensitivity training and on and on and on. And so people are like, well, I got I to gotta work, so I'll take the training. Mm -hmm. And over time, it becomes normal. Yep. And then having thoroughly indoctrinated the culture and hijacked all the institutions, you then criminalize dissent. You criminalize Christianity. This is where it ultimately leads. So you, you identify their, some of their key practical beliefs. It doesn't have to be all of them. You don't have to attack the Trinity. You don't have to attack specific aspects of Christian theology. But you need to identify key beliefs, and the ones that are really sensitive and work really well is you attack their beliefs in the area of sexuality. Mm -hmm. Because it's the natural bent of the non-Christian to want to experiment sexually. And you criminalize those beliefs. And at the same time, what the state does is it'll find members of a quote-unquote religion, because there's a visible church and there's an invisible church. Mm -hmm. The invisible church is the true church, the true converts. But there's also a visible church. There's clergymen all over the place that say, I'm a Christian clergyman. And you bring them on your side. Mm -hmm. You give them, you give them uh, like Michael Korn, you give them a column in a major newspaper to comment on Christianity when he's, he's not actually a real Christian. You give them mm -hmm. opportunity to, to uh, foist his radical leftist beliefs on people. And then you, you, um, you position yourself as a state to offer privileges to Christians, part the visible church, that agrees with your agenda. So we're gonna we're gonna take this idea of tax free status, which is historically connected to the Church's Christ Embassy, and we're gonna make it a favor. Hey, if you're gonna be a good little church, we're gonna give you charitable status. Mm -hmm. If you're going to stop counseling women against abortion, well, we're going to let you keep your charitable status. But if you ever tell a woman who's pregnant she shouldn't have an abortion, we're going to we're going to threaten to take your charitable status. And what happens to the pregnancy centers in our country? Most of them no longer counsel against abortion. Why? Money. They're concerned about the law. Mm -hmm. They are antichrist. They've they're actually opposing the things of God. They no longer speak out against abortion. It's like they just kind of beat around the bush and hope maybe the Holy Spirit, well, if the Holy Spirit's doing the job that you're supposed to be doing, why do you even have an agency open? Why don't you just mm -hmm. let the Holy Spirit do his work without you? Mm -hmm. It's a false spirituality. It's a fake Christianity. The um, 
uh, government will offer you professorships or uh, money from the public purse, government handouts. This is why it is such a massive mistake for churches to take money from the government. Mm -hmm. It was such a massive mistake for churches to take take money from the government during lockdowns. It's such a massive mistake to apply for government grants to hire kids to run your summer camp. Fund the church's ministry out of the tithes, offerings, and alms of God's people. Mm -hmm. Do not take money from the state. If you're part of a church, I would encourage you to go on the CRA website if you're in Canada and Google the name of your church. Mm -hmm. And if your church is taking money from the state, it'll say it right on there. Under our church, you're going to see zero. Mm -hmm. We don't take money from the state. But if your church is taking money from the state, go to your leadership and say, we have to stop this. This is such a critical, critical mistake. Stop taking money from the public purse. Because as soon as you do, you're beholden to them. They can manipulate you. They can manipulate you. And it's all part of the the plan. Now, when I say a plan, I don't mean there's some book out there or some manual or a, bu- you know, a bunch of world leaders getting together with long fingernails, wringing their hands and coming up with a plan. It's, it's the spirit of the Antichrist. It's the devil himself. It's the beast system. It's people who are not regenerate. There's, a, there's like a, a, a meta-Antichrist morality that is in the West. Mm-hmm. And this, it's this mindset. It's this worldview. It's this system of thinking that, that allows all of these, these plans to, to come to fruition. So where I would maybe differ from the uh, true conspiracy theorist is they often have this notion that there's a bunch of people sort of getting together and doing all this. Well, mm-hmm. non-Christians hate non-Christians too, and they're really not that coordinated. There are some groups that exist, like the C- Canadian Anti-Hate Network. They, they exist specifically to oppose the things of God. Mm-hmm. They're the most one of the most intolerant organizations in our country right now. But there's all these piecemeal groups, and the the reason why this is all happening is because the the beast system, the antichrist system, is um, you know alive and well. And then once once that's happened, Chris, then you have overt persecution. You you imprison for hate crimes. It's just a matter of time before that happens. Uh, many people are forced out of work. We've had all we know all kinds of people that have left the country. Now, I'm not. Sh- I, I don't. Everyone has freedom of choice to live where they want to live. I'm not sure leaving the country is the best move myself because I think these ideologies, unless you're going to go to a non-Western country, mm-hmm. which some have, but these ideologies are rippling through the West. You're just, you might be getting another five years by going to another country. But if you actually think you're escaping it, you're not escaping it. Mm-hmm. This, these ideologies are globalist in nature. This is not like time of the Puritans when you could go to an untouched land without mass communication and start from scratch. It's a completely different world. Mm-hmm. But many have left. And um, I, I suppose the the sixth step, if there was one in this process of persecuting Christians, is to deny it's happening. Mm-hmm. It's not happening. We're just we're just about human rights. Oh, you're you're exaggerating. That's not no, there's another explanation. So I had a guy message me and say, "Well, no, no, Josh Alexander, he wasn't, he wasn't um, arrested for handing out Bibles because he was causing a disturbance, causing a disturbance by handing out Bibles, and other people were disturbed by it, mm-hmm. causing a disturbance because some activists 
pushes him around in a crowd. So they're assaulting him. They're freaking out. And somehow he's at fault for causing a disturbance. Well, let me just say this. The woke leftists disturb my life every single day. And they're not being arrested for it. So it's that whole idea of deny it. No, it's not actually happening. Let's just keep our head down. Let's just live quiet and peaceful lives. We saw this with the antics of a lot of the leaders at the TGC here in Canada during lockdowns. Their 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 basic mo is to deny that anything's bad is happening. Mm-hmm. What you know? What what are y'all upset about? My life's fine. Well, it's because you still had a paycheck, bud, the whole time. Well, everything's everything's good. You know, we sort of recovered. We're back to our pre-pandemic numbers in terms of attendance. Um, I probably shouldn't say much more about them because I find those lines of arguments so vile, so naive, so ignorant to the suffering that people experience. But it's it's another example. Mm-hmm. We just deny it's happening. Mm-hmm. Everything's fine. Compare Canada 1984 to Canada 2023. Just let your mind go back and compare. Mm-hmm. There is radical anti-Christian sentiment in our country, and it's increasing by the day. Mm-hmm. And there's no denying it. Yeah. Interesting that you should mention 1984 as a specific year <laughs> as a given. Yeah, that might have been like a Freudian <laughs> slip. <laughs> as you just as you were talking through things, it's it's so interesting for widespread persecution to be able to happen. The the general population has to be opposed to Christianity slowly, or at least see them as the disturbers, see it as the the uh, the not preferred future of the country. Yeah, or just be extremely passive. Mm-hmm. And passivity really is one of the ultimate manifestations of selfishness, mm. where you, you don't see yourself as part of a community, as part of a broader citizenship. You're just selfish. Mm-hmm. You don't care because your life is fine. Mm-hmm. It's like, why would I care about the pandemic? I'm getting overtime because I'm an essential worker. You don't care about the plight of other people. You don't care about the fact that the same truckers that brought you your food under lockdown are now out of work because they didn't get a jab, which has proven to be ineffective. Mm. So you just don't care. You don't, you don't care about the fact some 16-year-old kid in a red hat is being shoved around in a crowd. He's just, just go home, bud. It's mm. your mindset. Mm-hmm. But the reality is eventually they'll come for you too or you'll join the mob. Those are, those are only two options. If yeah. you're a passive Christian, here's what here's what's going to happen. You're either going to join the enemy's camp or they're going to come for you too. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, the, the question is, is it going to be too late or not to even stand up? Yeah. One spinoff question, as you mentioned, passivity and selfishness. Do you think that the increased access to, let's say, social media, where you can watch videos of stuff and scroll past it so quickly has contributed to our passivity in that regard? I do. I think uh, exposure to gratuitous violence. Mm-hmm. I think um, violence as entertainment, injustice as entertainment, that theme that's woven through so many movies. And I know people laugh at me for saying this because I bring it up on almost every podcast. Video games yeah. <laughs> whereby violence is normalized where we've actually seared the consciences of a whole generation of young men. Mm-hmm. Young men should be at the forefront, along with men like Josh Alexander, in combating injustices in culture. There should be a burning passion in the heart of every young red-blooded male to 
speak out on behalf of the proverbial widow and orphan. Those are the men that have the drive to go to war when there's actual mm-hmm. you know, conflicts. But now they're just sitting around in coffee shops observing someone being knifed to death or just yawning and walking by on their way to Starbucks for a $6 coffee as one of their peers is being pushed around in a crowd by a bunch of people that looked like they just got out of a clown show. Mm-hmm. So there's there's a there's a passivity there's an injustice and it's just it's nonstop when we when we are exposed to evil what it should do is it should heighten our senses for the spiritual battle that we're in not dull them down mm-hmm. right not dull them down when when we hear of baby a hundred thousand Canadian babies being butchered in the womb every year it's not like oh okay I'm gonna go back to watching my Netflix show this should bother us deeply, should make us angry. Mm-hmm. But there's been a searing of the conscience, even among a lot of Christians. Uh, every once in a while, something like over the top happens. It's just extreme and it kind of shakes people up and rattles their cages a bit. But then when that's normalized, it sort of mm-hmm. goes away. Like we yeah. think it's, how how did we? So let's say you're listening to this show and you are not a Christian and you hate my guts and you hate Christ and you don't agree with any of, of this. You should still be mulling over the fact, how did we get to a point in Western culture where in a half a generation, we went from criminalizing pedophilia, speaking out against abuse, speaking out against abuse against women, to allowing men to pretend to be women, to beat them on the ice rink, on the basketball court, Mm -hmm. on the racetrack, on the cyclist track, in the swimming pool, how do we get to a point where men are permitted to dress like caricatures of women and be invited to expose their crotches in front of our prepubescent children? How did that happen? Mm -hmm. How did that happen? Even if you're not a Christian, how does that happen? How does the moral fabric of a nation change that quickly. Something's afoot. Mm -hmm. And if you think that's the end of it, it's not the end of it. There will come a time when pedophilia is perfectly normalized in canon unless we slow down the train, when bestiality is perfectly normal, when child molestation and child abuse is perfect. There's going to, it just, all it takes for someone who's an expert to come up with some sophisticated argument that is believable enough for people to go along with it. Mm -hmm. You may not be able to conceive what the argument is right now, but it'll happen. Mark, save this podcast and tell me if I'm wrong. Mm -hmm. I'm not wrong. This is the trajectory things are going in. We've seen it in history. How do you get get to a point in Sodom and Gomorrah where you go from, oh, well, you can, if a man wants to have sex with a man in his bedroom, nobody cares, to I'm going to knock on your door and ask you to send a guy out so we can sodomize him on the streets. To then saying, well, no, I'm going to throw my daughter out to you and you can rape her all night long in a public place. And that's somehow normal. Mm-hmm. It's happened before in history. We're not the first nation or civilization in the West to offer our children up on as, as burnt offerings on altars yeah. for the sake of our convenience. Yeah. So you think about the ancient pagans that would take a baby and they'd throw them on a, a fire and burn them or slice their throat, cut out their heart and mm-hmm. offer them to the gods. Like, why were they doing that? Mm-hmm. 
because they wanted their creature comforts. They wanted the harvest to come up. They wanted protection from war. It's creature comforts. It's the same argument. Women's right. I want to be able to work. Mm-hmm. This baby's an inconvenience. I want to earn another degree. It's different circumstances, but it's the same basic thing. Children are inconvenient. If we offer them up in that pagan context, maybe the gods will look pleasantly upon us, but what's the goal of the gods looking pleasantly upon us so I can enjoy my material life, my materialistic life? And in the same way, when you hear someone say women's rights, women's rights in the era of the the pro-abortion movement, it's just saying pro-materialism, pro-materialism. I don't see any value in human life. Children are a hindrance. They're interfering with my plans, and I want the, I want this thing inside of me put to death. I do not want it. Mm-hmm. But from a Christian perspective, there's your rights are limited by God's laws. You do not have the right. No, a woman does not have the right to execute her child in the womb you, or after. You just don't have that right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, well said. Okay, we need some good news, <laughs> a little bit of good news to— uh... Yeah, let's just end it here, and uh, we'll distribute antidepressants to everyone. <laughs> <laughs> no way. So there's—we know Scripture tells us, but we know there's a silver lining to persecution. It does—God uses it. He's in charge. He works out all things, right? Right. So what is that good news? Matthew 5.10, blessed are those that are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. There is a blessing, there's a silver lining to persecution. First of all, it's going to backfire. It always does. Mm -hmm. It may take a few generations. It may take a century. It may take two centuries or five centuries, but it will backfire. Here's what persecution does. Um, I think Oxford University even did a a study on does the church grow through persecution, and even non-Christian researchers have verified that the Christian church grows under persecution. In fact, the worst thing that the radical trans community can do is to have a month that forces everyone to celebrate their ideology. Mm -hmm. That's actually a really dumb plan because you're just breeding resistance. You see this even in culture, more and more people are resisting it. Originally when it was like, well, can a guy marry a man? And it was like, who cares? Not my business. Now it's like, I just don't want it forced upon me. So now there's resistance. Mm-hmm. So evil always overplays its hand because it's stupid. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have the mind of God, the wisdom of Christ. It's stupid. So evil overplays its hand. So what's going to happen? Persecution, it separates the wheat from the chaff. That's a painful thing, but it's a benefit. So among the, vis- the, the visible church, it separates the goats from the sheep. So you're going to have what seems like a decline in numbers in a lot of churches, but actually what you're doing is you're just blowing away the chaff. Mm -hmm. Don't be one of the chaff. Then people that have been uh, persecuted, have had jobs taken away, denied promotions, it's going to force them to rely more on the Lord for their daily bread, which is in the Lord's prayer, and less on the kings and chariots of the world. Mm -hmm. Uh, people will pray more. We'll we'll seek the heart of the Lord. We'll we'll ask for the Lord to forgive us, and we'll we'll be repenting more. We'll be keeping mm-hmm. short accounts of the Lord because there's a sense of of us. You know, something's really not right in the world. Mm-hmm. We, we we've always known that, but something's not right in the world, and we we need to rely upon the Lord. More people will get saved um, who otherwise wouldn't don the doorsteps of a church or even yeah. listen to you. We've seen this 
this is a fact that's happened in our church so many times over the last three years. People that have said, I, I wouldn't even be here. From a human perspective, I wouldn't even be here if it wasn't for what's happening. But they realize that um, the world's nuts and they they need to do something. They need to seek something out or something yeah. needs to change. And of course, God uses all that to draw people unto himself. People rely less on the system. You're gonna have people just saying, hey, I'm not working for the government. I'm gonna I'm gonna start my own business. I'm gonna run it according to Christian principles. And you know what? They're the ones that are gonna flourish because God's mm-hmm. plans and laws work. So we have we have in human history cycles of peace and persecution, even in Israel. I talked about this in my sermon on Sunday where the people of God are being oppressed by the Moabites, the Ammonites, the Philistines, and they they cry out to the Lord, and the Lord confronts them for their own sin. They repent, they sort of clean house. God frees them from their enemies, and all of a sudden, the worship services are on fire, and everyone's at the temple, and and then they enjoy that peace, and they're so grateful for it. But a generation or two or three or five later, they've sort of forgotten the fight that was fought, mm-hmm. and they start to fall back into their old ways and worship their foreign gods and pursue idols. And they start to spiral downwards. So then God allows persecution to strike, and it's painful. Mm-hmm. But what persecution does is it wakes us up, it forces us to fight for our beliefs, and it helps us to combat laziness. There's so many lazy Christians. All of us have laziness in us. When it's easy to be a Christian, we don't tend to read our Bibles as much, yep. or we just intellectualize our faith. A lot of our seminaries have made this mistake. They're not actually equipping people for ministry. They're just teaching people what to believe and what to preach. But they're not actually equipping people to do battle with the forces of darkness in culture. That's because it's we've reduced it just to a, a system, a series of beliefs. I was at a, a, a Christian event recently. I won't be too specific so as not to unnecessarily offend, but I was at a Christian event recently, and I, I just looked around and I thought, man, these people are boring. There was no enthusiasm. There was no real passion for their faith or supposedly training leaders for Christ, and everyone just got this hangdog look. There's no passion. It's just going through the motions. Mm-hmm. And if you're going through the motions, you train your disciples just to go through the motions. So a lot of our educational institutions and denominational structures Oh, we're we're guarding those beliefs, but we're not actually equipping people to do battle with the forces of darkness. Mm-hmm. And so you end up with just very bland people leading churches and leading Christian organizations. But the, the bottom line is evil always loses in the long run. Mm-hmm. And if it's our turn to suffer as we move out of a period of peace into a perse- period of persecution, so be it. Mm-hmm. You can call me anti this and anti that all you want. You can imprison me. You can find me. You can charge me. Do I want that to happen? No. But if you do it, it's just going to galvanize me. Mm-hmm. It's just going to expand my passion for Christ. And if you're successful in snuffing me out, you're just going to raise up 10 more. And this is how it works. So evil loses. And at the end, it loses. And to be proactive, what we need to do is speak up, pray, and stand up and not be among the cowards. You know, the, in, in the tail end of Revelation, it talks about those that will not inherit the kingdom of God. And it talks here about the, the faithless, the detestable, the murderers, the sorcerers, the sexually immoral, but it also says the cowards. Mm-hmm. The cowards will not inherit the kingdom of God. In fact, it says their portion will be in the, the lake of fire, the second death. So that should shake you up if nothing else does. Mm-hmm. If you're a coward for Christ, 
you will not enjoy the benefits and blessings of his eternal kingdom. You'll be in the lake of fire. So um, let's let's combat evil. Mm -hmm. People might say, well, why would you combat evil when it has so many blessings? Well, God can sanctify us through divorce. God can sanctify us through the death of a loved one. Through cancer. God can sanctify us through disease, but we don't. We don't want cancer. We don't want divorce. We don't want nasty things to happen. Mm-hmm. So we we hold these things in tension. On one hand, we see the big picture, yep. and we know that God will sanctify and build His church through all this stupidity. But at the same time, we we have that holy anger, which is given to us by God. It's not That's natural because right. otherwise we'd be antichrist. That's we right. speak out against evil and unrighteousness because it's the right thing to do. By the way, it's the right thing to do regardless of your eschatology. Mm-hmm. Regardless of whether you have a more optimistic, well, everybody has an optimistic eschatology ultimately, because we know how this all ends. But regardless of whether your immediate eschatology is more optimistic or maybe a bit more pessimistic, you do the right thing. Mm-hmm. You do the right thing. And God will bless you for it in, 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 in some way, shape, or form. Even if mm-hmm. the blessing is that you, you know, become one of many martyrs who laid yeah. down their lives for the cause of Christ. Yeah, was counted worthy, right, to yeah. suffer according to the name, which is, is, I think that's in Acts where they go out like rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer, right? So We, we should all don that mindset. By the way, the book yeah. of Acts is a great example of a church growing under persecution. Yeah. We talked about, um, what's China? Um, I think it went from one million Christians around the time that communism took over to 100 million. And there's churches everywhere, and not all of them are Orthodox, unfortunately, but there's over 100 million Christians in the country, and that number, from what I understand, is growing. It grew. That's a modern example. But in the book of Acts, we also see persecution, growth, persecution, growth. So the devil overplays his hand. Yep. Very good. Okay. Well, thank you, Aaron. Appreciate that. Uh insightful look into what persecution is looking like in the West and our response to it. I want to thank our listeners for tuning in this week and a reminder that if you haven't, if you found this podcast, maybe just on Facebook or Twitter or somewhere, there is a subscription that you can get to this podcast through the regular podcast channels, whatever your podcast player is. Just look up Leadership Now with Dr. Aaron Rock. You can also head over to the pursuitofglory.org site, which is Aaron's resourcing website or the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network which also graciously hosts this podcast on their app and their platform. So we're thankful for that. We hope you'll tune in next week to another episode of Leadership Now with Dr. Aaron Rock.